0: some people noticeably missing this morning that i just wanted to point out for a purpose one is dual quarter our normal worship leader and one of our elders and with some of his praise team they are on an accelerator event that's where they are they are at an accelerator event at a worship conference our youth ministry is noticeably gone you know where they are on an accelerator event. They are out at a youth retreat being faithful to God's call through your elders on each one of you to attend some sort of accelerator event this year. The year's not over. Many of you, a large portion of you have taken advantage of some of the opportunities and I hope all of you will. And if you can't fit it in by December, it's too late after that. You can't do it ever. So no, I'm kidding. Just go. Go and take a time out from your normal routine for the purpose of spending some extended time with God. I promise you it will be fruitful. I promise you you will be blessed and the kingdom will be advanced in here and possibly through here to the world. So I hope you would make that a habit. And I'll just add, our real heart as a leadership is that every single member of this church does one of those of some kind every single year of their life. That's Youth ministries have figured this out long ago. They do several of these a year and they come back from those special environments making decisions and experiencing Christ in a way that disciples them, accelerates their discipleship, and so we should never outgrow that. We should never outgrow that, so I just wanted to throw that in here. As we enter into the month of November, we officially enter into the holiday season now. First up is Thanksgiving this month, and then we'll turn into December and round into Christmas, and around here, we are always very careful to remember that for some people, because of life events, some recent some long past the holidays are not always 100% joyful they are not always full of praise full of thanksgiving like they're intended to and we always want to be sensitive to that truth because life's messy life is painful you either have learned that or you will learn that Life is complicated where seasons actually designed on the calendar for joy, for praise, for thanksgiving actually trigger in us more pain, more suffering than all the other months that are not attended for that. It's complex. That, that paradox is true because of human nature. That's what we've learned. So we go out of our way to honor that around here, to give people permission to not always feel like they need to match the season, you know, when they when they would be pretending to do so. We don't want anyone doing that, and that's good, and that's right. We don't want people white knuckling it and painting on the face of joy and Thanksgiving and praise when they're not feeling that. It's not necessary, so we don't ever want to take anything away from that in honoring that. However. As we study scripture as Christians, we as Christ followers are still called, like it's a calling to be these things. We are literally called from a world that's hurting and suffering, including us, and still be joyful. I read every, every red letter text, every statement of Jesus about joy in these last couple of weeks. And that's a whole sermon I should do just on joy. But it is like Christ rebels against the idea that legitimate, unarguable suffering and sadness and grief is any excuse to justify joylessness for the Christian. It's amazing. It's, it's audacious in a way. Uh, Paul, this is so audacious, so clear in Jesus that Paul, after his conversion and research of Jesus. He says to the Thessalonian church, be joyful how often? Always. He says be joyful always. It, and we are also called to, to, to give praise, to be full of praise. The Hebrew author, he says it like this. He says, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. How often are we to praise? Continually. And then back to Paul, that we are also called as Christians to be full of thanksgiving. He says again in Thessalonians, same passage, give thanks in what circumstances? All circumstances. And then he throws the God's will card in there. You know, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I think that is really strong language, isn't it? I mean, try to imagine inviting... For the Bible to invite us to call us to these things with stronger, more comprehensive language than this. So I think our human nature, that has learned how complicated it is in seasons like this, we push back on this. Even when we read in Scripture, we push back. It just seems so impractical, it might even seem insensitive to just presume joy onto people, to the legitimate sufferings of people, circumstances that no one, not you, not me, no one in their right mind would begrudge someone for not being joyful, would begrudge someone for not being full of praise, would begrudge someone for not giving thanks in those circumstances. So at its worst, I'm always afraid that these seasons the holiday seasons, and maybe even more weighty, these scriptures, these scriptures, these kind of sermons would impose on people that feeling of white-knuckling it. I'm a Christian, I'm called to this. I should paint on the happy face or how can I be like a light in the world? But if that's why we're careful around here at the holidays to mention this. Because when you take the whole of Scripture, and not just these texts, you take the whole story, it is not what it says. It does not say that. There is room for legitimate suffering and grief and and difficulty. Yet, Scripture does say something to us, even as it honors that. It says these things. It continually and regularly presumes against our right minds, Like Maybe there's more than just what's right in our minds. Maybe there's more to life than that. It presumes against that. And without dishonoring or denying suffering, no one can look at Jesus and say he's denying suffering. Not with his story. No one can do that. He is just saying in spite of that, there is a possibility of joy and praise and thanksgiving. And not just at a certain time of the year, but always continually in all circumstances so the only way I can kind of reconcile life and what scripture calls us to is that the spiritual life that Christ is delivering to us is complex enough and powerful enough to match life's complexity It is enough to take in without denying or pretending about anything that is legitimate suffering. And it can match it. And it can pull us into praise and thanksgiving and joy anyway. It can coexist. And that paradox, I believe, is because of God's nature because of God's nature. And that's what we want to tap into. No verse has taught me this possibility of this paradox more. And instructed me more on how to best pursue like living that out. Regardless of my circumstances. Than Hebrews twelve too. You've heard me quote it before. It's one of my favorites. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Really pause here for a minute. This verse goes all the way on this paradox. Not only can you be joyful always in all circumstances, this is saying that there is certain joy that cannot be had except through suffering. It's ridiculous what the Bible teaches. Unless it's true. Unless it's true. Then it's good news. And it's something we want. So what if we use this holiday season to examine this call? This impractical, seemingly insensitive, seemingly unrealistic call to joy. And I'm showing my cards all the way here in the title of this series. I believe these twin disciplines of praise and thanksgiving are the resources. They are the tools that the believer has that keeps us connected to Joy. These are the things that we do to stay connected. When we continually give the sacrifice of praise, not just when it seems appropriate or we feel like it, when we give thanks in all circumstances, not just when the Rangers win, right? (laughs) But in all circumstances, then the result is being joyful always. Wouldn't that be, would, would it not be Awesome. If you could have a reservoir of joy that could handle anything, many of you have had to handle anything without it. How was that? The Bible is suggesting, Jesus is suggesting, it's available. You don't have to have mastered this, but it is available. And that is good news. So I want to spend the first two weeks of November reserving the right to go three because I'm kind of excited about the subject of praise that I've never really preached on. And then we'll either do one or two on Thanksgiving as we go through this uh, month of November. So. Today, it's a little bit academic, but I hope sets a foundation and gets the Holy Spirit to help you imagine what your life of praise could look like. Not that you don't have one, but maybe it's more intentional or maybe it can grow to fuel a more joyful heart, a more joyful heart for you. So what is praise? So praise, just kind of a baseline definition that I found that made sense to me. It's, it's the truthful acknowledgement of, Of the righteous acts or greatness of another. Okay, and specifically for us, we're talking about God, right? We're talking about the righteous acts or the greatness of God. Some synonyms, some other lofty words that are synonyms with praise are like exalt, extol, elevate, glorify. In scripture, you'll find the, the phrase lifted up. Lift up is a synonym. Magnify. That, that might be my mess. My, be, my favorite, I mean. The best one for me. Because magnifying is making something bigger. So we do things to make God bigger. We can't make God bigger, I know. It's just our perspective. We do things that, that make him more obvious. Bigger to us. Bigger to the world. He's got the things in his repertoire of things that he's done and he's got the character to, to be bigger than he is in your life and in your heart and in your esteem and in the worlds. So to praise God is really, and this may be how to say it, is to call attention to that. It's to call attention to him, specifically his greatness and his goodness, his power and his love. And we do this in various ways, but in all ways, you need to know, and I want you to come out it today with this, it's a verb. This is something you do. This is not something that happens to you. This is something that you do. It's an action. It's the action of you calling attention to God, whether your own or someone else's, right? That is what praise is and it's done in various ways. There's the ways really I think are countless. There're countless ways to praise God. But just to give us an anchor in scripture to begin discussing it, in my study I found out that there's seven there are seven Hebrew words for the word for the word praise, okay? And you're going to note that all these words are verbs. There's like seven or eight Greek words too, but they're really just kind of copies of these. So I decided not to do 15 words today. So I'm going to do seven words, but I'll show you how some of them are uh, mimicked in the New Testament. There's really no change here. So, but I do want you to remember that it's a discipline, one that will maintain your capacity to have a life of joy. So listen to me, as we go through these, I want you to just ask, do I do that? I guarantee you, none of you do all these. I don't do all these. And I'm not being legalistic here. Like you need to do all these. But do you do any of these? Have you restricted yourself from some of these? Do you judge some of these? Are there some of these that maybe would fit for you, but you haven't tried them? You haven't considered them? So I'm just asking the Spirit to do that. Here's, here's what I want you to do. If you struggle, like if you find yourself sapped dry of joy regularly, if you, if you, when you're just in neutral and you're not full of joy, I want you to, and you don't do any of these, I want you to consider there's a connection. I just want you to consider that. That if you don't tap into this thick, beautiful, weighty, meaningful reservoir of joy, maybe even in, but maybe I should say even especially in difficult circumstances so that you can know it's there. Like, that's when you find out whether it's there or not, is when you hit a difficult circumstance. If you don't, then maybe take a picture of these and go, man, I need to try some of these. Okay, so don't hold me to these pronunciations. They are Hebrew words. Barak. Barak. I don't know. Baru, I don't know. But what it means is to kneel or bow down to praise. To kneel or bow down as you praise or to bless. It's giving reverence to God as an act of adoration of God's holiness, of his sovereignty, of his power, of his goodness over everything that lives. Now, some churches have so literally done this. They have in the back of their pews kneelers built into the back of their pews. I don't know if you've ever been to a church like this, but they have them where they just, they're on hinges and they come down so that you can get down on your knees and by that pew and kneeling is literally built into the life of their church we don't do a lot of that around here that's not something that we've inherited in our tradition but perhaps perhaps we should perhaps we should if we're people of the book in particular you know in psalm 95 6 you'll recognize this psalm we have a song that we sing on this it says come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. It's, it's in there. It is a part of it. Uh, when Paul is talking to the uh, Ephesian church, he just unpacks the glory of the gospel. He's just drawn attention to what he's done in Jesus. And then he says his response, he says, for this reason, the gospel, I kneel before the Father. In Philippians, it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. You should. In heaven and on earth and even under the earth. It's proper. It's good. So I want to just take a moment here and just, something you'll notice in these words, all or most of them involve the body. Not just the lips. Not just the voice. It includes the lips. But they also have embedded in them Uh, the body. Praise is a full body thing. It's a full body thing. That's not something I was raised with. It's not something I practice a lot. Not in corporate. In individual I do it more. But not in corporate. And that's okay. I'm not going to distinguish between corporate and individual. But just know that both of those are being talked about here. So Barak is uh, bowing or kneeling down. And posture is a part of praise. Now, I'm not saying it's necessary for you to Use your body in some way to uh, to adequately praise God, but I think in our integrity we for sure can't say we're praising biblically if we don't. And biblical, I've taught you this. Biblical does not mean salvational; it just means it's in there. It's in the Bible. Something in the Bible doesn't. Not everything in the Bible has salvational power, but it's useful. That's what we're told. Scripture is useful. So these ideas, you might want to consider expanding your praise to, do, to include the body if you've never done that before. So Barak. Second one is yada. I know exactly what you're thinking right now. Seinfeld. Yada, yada, yada. I know you are. So I almost did just to avoid that. wanted to say yada or something to make it sound more Hebrew. But yada is how I'm going to say it. And this is to lift up your hands in praise. So the, this one does make it into this room for some of us corporately. Uh, but lots of people praise without it for various reasons. And many of us didn't, just, didn't, didn't, just didn't grow up in a church like that. How many of you are not hand raisers? How many of you just, you're not hand raisers? Uh, <laughs> see, you can do it. You can do it. Some of you could and You're like, I just can't bring myself to do it. No, I, I, I know. That was cheesy. All right. So, uh, Psalm 63, another song that we sing. It says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Most of us get that one. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name, I will lift up my hands. Again, not just words. There are words, but there's also body posture, and it's wrapped up into these words. Yada is not being expressed unless you use your hands. One of the inspirational images that the Jews, and so probably the first century Jews held on to when on this uh, raising of hands, there's a lot of them, but one of them goes way back to Moses when they're on their way to the Holy Land and they're having to fight to get to the Holy Land and they need God to back them up, right? And Moses, as long as his hands were up in one of these battles, they were winning. And if they were down, they were losing. When we're praising, we're winning, when we're elevating our minds and our thoughts to the clouds, when we're giving him the glory, giving him the attention, we're winning. And so I love that image uh, that they tied into. That's yada. The next one is shabak. Shabak just simply means to shout. It's not singing. It's shouting. It's woohoo! That's shouting. That's shouting. And so that is a legitimate part of praise. Is shouting. We get that in here occasionally when someone gets baptized. There's a few little humble, woo, right? We, we get a little bit of that. So it's to call attention. I mean, what, why do we shout? Shade, come here. We're trying to get attention. This makes sense. It makes sense that shouting would be a part of praising. We do this one when, when we want to get attention. Another psalm that is a song that we sing. Clap your hands. All you nations or peoples shout to God with cries of joy. Isn't this interesting? We all know these songs that include where we proclaim with our lips what to do with our body. Many of us never do it. And yet we sing the very songs that embed these kind of worship. Just something to consider. And so that's uh, Shabak. The next one is Halal. This is the most common word for praise in the Old Testament. I think it's 165 times. We don't have enough English words for the, these Hebrew words, okay? Because praise is in turn. But typically, when you see the word praise, it is the word halal. 165 times in the Old Testament. And so it means what you typically think praise means. It's to commend or boast about or rave about. And it, but But here's what distinguishes it. It includes an extent, okay, that that we might not ever get to. And that is to the point of ridiculousness, to the point of looking foolish, we'll praise. You have seen this at some uh, kids' games by their parents. They are shouting out. They are showing the commending their kid and they look foolish. I've been that and I know it's happened to others as well. So we know what this is. So while halal is the common word for it, what I want you to reflect on is how far are you willing to go? King David, the Jewish example of halal and the foolish side of things is noted when God delivered the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, David was so giving so much praise to God. He was half naked dancing before the Lord, and it was so he was so foolish in his praise that his wife, Michael, just was you know getting on him, and he just said, "What can I do? What can I do but praise Him? And and I will gladly be foolish for Him." So I'm not see that's biblical, taking your clothes off and dancing. I don't want you doing that. Okay, I'm not recommending you do that. I'm just saying, are you willing to? Are you willing to look the fool in your praise of God, in the eyes of some? That's the extent to which we are to halal. So um, that's the next word. I don't know what number I'm on. Zamar. Zamar is the next one. Zamar is the actually plucking the strings or using an instrument along with song to create an atmosphere of praise interestingly the image of this is also David and it's when Saul King Saul you may or may not know this that's okay he was tormented by evil spirits and he just his, it, would, it would unsettle him and David and including being a shepherd and a great warrior he was also a musician and a poet and he would come in and he would zamar worship he'd use his harp and it would run off the evil spirits and it would soothe David. That's what he was doing. Psalm 147, 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. So there's phrases in there might ring familiar to some of you who, like me, grew up in, in our tribe, the Church of Christ tribe. Sing and make music. So we come from a heritage where in some instances our heritage inappropriately we've come to learn we outright banned the use of instruments to praise we said zamar worship was just an old testament thing and we had some of our texts that we utilized to to make it say that and i say we made it say that because that came from how we read scripture i've done extensive teaching to you on this But our elders have for a long time, for years, identified this one. This doesn't come from Scripture. It comes from our interpretation of Scripture. So you'll notice these two words. There's a couple of verses in the New Testament that are actually echoing this psalm's instruction and carrying it on to the Christian faith. And by how we read it, we made it a condemnation of it. There's one in Ephesians and one in Colossians. I'll read the one in Ephesians. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. So you see the, 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 the connection. The Jewish listener would have heard that, but the Greek listener who has no Jewish background, they would hear sing, and they would hear that mean to sing. They would hear make music. They would naturally think that that's using instruments to do so. Um, so, in fact, there's three Greek words in here that we're told. Colossians says, sing to one another. So, even that speak to one another is considered singing. That's why it says sing and make music. Psalms, psalms hymns, and spiritual songs are, this, this is going to make me sound really smart, only because I've studied this one verse. Salos, hymnos, and oide. Okay, spiritual oide. Pneuma, oide. So, oide, you kind of hear our, our word ode. It's an ode. Okay, Hymnos, You know what that is? That's a hymn. Then solos. solos, What distinguishes solos from hymns and odes is instruments. Solos is the Greek word for this Hebrew word, zamar. So I say all that just for those of you who that's relevant to and uh, need to hear that about. Around here, we love praising the a cappella way. We think our heritage is special. We think this style of praise, we do it well. Zamar however, is also a legitimate and special way to praise. Two more, Tehillah. Tehillah can be absolutely anything. It can be any of these outward expressions. It can be in words. It can be in, with your body. It can be other things we haven't even talked about here. What distinguishes Tehillah praise is that it actually rises from inside of you. Like it's, I I say it's a discipline and you're to do it with the will, but even sometimes when you're praising a a verse that you just sang, takes you, it takes you to somewhere and you lift lift your hand or you sigh or you stop singing or you do something in response. I love that this is in here, that Tehillah is just something awesome happens or something crazy happens and, and it just comes out of you. So lots of these acts, like I said, you do them. They are, they are an act of the will. It's an intentional, planned, proactive response to the goodness and greatness of God. But Tehillah is reactive. It's still a verb because you have to let it happen. Right, You have to join in with what's trying to get out of you. But it can be anything. It can be a shout. It can be a sigh. It can be a bowing down. It can be a falling to the ground, prostrate. It can be lifting your hands, closing your eyes. It can be crying. It can be laughing, jumping, dancing, gasping. It can be just frozen silence. But it, it's something that grabs you. We love those experiences, don't we? When, 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 it, when God interrupts and shows himself. That's got a name. It's Tehillah praise. I encourage you to let it happen when it comes. Let it happen when it comes. Last one, in contrast to Tehillah, is Tauda. I save this one for last because I'm really going to talk about this one next week. This is a tough one. It also includes an extension of the hands, but different than the other one. This one is specifically hands of receiving or acceptance. Okay? Because tout praise is wholly and completely praise in the midst of submission and obedience when you don't want to. It's praise in the face of bad news. That's why I put it next to Tehillah. Tehillah is usually something is so good it takes your breath away. or It's so awesome. This one is so bad that you would would be, be inhuman to respond with praise. And so this is what Paul's talking about. Tauda, when he says praise in all circumstances. It's called something. It's called tauda. And it is a yielding to God as Lord and Master, come what may, simply because he himself is worthy. He is worthy and he's trustworthy. Regardless of what happens, if you have that trust and that worthiness, you can accept what's happening you can sacrifice what you wish would happen and you can conform your life which by the way is another element of of praise the conforming of your life to his will you becoming christ-like is that i'm preaching next week's sermon a little bit but because i'm saving that for next week because i think this one's tough you might be saying brian that one sounds like what you said we don't have to do and that's fake it It sounds like you're saying even if it's bad news, it's not praiseworthy news. It's not joy-inspiring news. I don't want to thank anyone for it. So it sounds like you're asking me to force it anyway and be fake. Nope, tout of praise is not fake. It's faith. It's faith. It is praise, trust, acceptance, conforming, obedience, surrender, yielding in spite of Circumstances. There's not one of us that are going to get through this life continuing to praise God with all the circumstances we're going to face without learning this one. We need this one. And that it's in there and that it's possible is really good news. This is praise simply for who He is and not for what we wish He would do or not let happen. Okay. I know that's a lot, a lot of education today. I hope the Spirit uses it with you. But as I finish up, and let me ask our elders and our ministers, they're going to go ahead and move around the room, move up there on the balcony. If you need to respond to anything today in any way, related to this or not, that's why these folks make that move. So let me finish with an invitation to next week. Next week, because we're not done we are not done. My work in this series is to go through some of the Bible's teaching on what praise is, which has been really rich for me because I've never done it. I've never done it. I leave it to Doyle or Ryan or people who, you know, are really into praise and worship. Um, but I want to teach some of that, and that's what I've done a little bit today. I'll do a little bit more. But my hope My faith goal is that you'll understand that praise is something that you do. It's a discipline that you do, that you use to feed on God and fill your life with joy. Just like you would go to eat food to edify your body, you go to praise to edify this part of you that needs Joy, I want this to be so real, praise to be so, such a real thing for you, such a concrete thing that you do, that if somebody said, hey, how did you praise today? You can say when and how you did it. Just as clearly as if someone said, hey, what did you eat and where today? You can say when, where, and what, and how you ate food. I want it to become more concrete, not this fluffy thing that we just kind of presume is in our life but something we actually do. And there's two reasons for this that I want praise to become that intentional for you. One, he deserves it, amen? He deserves it. That should be enough for us. He earned it. He deserves it. He's that great. He's that good. He's that powerful. He's that loving. Okay, so that's him. The second one though is we need it. And by that, I mean, we need more joy. I don't know if you've noticed, but this world is not getting any easier. It's not getting, and with how we can find out what's happening in the whole world at any given moment, there's more to take in. And for some reason, we've got a need to, like a compass goes north to look at the worst things going on in our life and dwell on them and think about them. Just the precise opposite of what Paul says we need to do to have a peace that goes beyond all that. Go beyond understanding. We need to focus on what's worthy, what's, what's praiseworthy, what's good, what's right, what's true. That's what we're doing when we draw attention to God. When we put our attention on God, we're lifting up. This is vital for us to survive this deal and to be a light in this world. I've got an image for you of what the world does. without. This is, this is like a time-relevant image of what the world because the world wants to suck us in suck us down keep us distracted titillated with the puny things to where we can become zombies this is what it looks like to be in the world these days i can i can do so much just i, I can do so much right here right here i can get community here i can get news here i can get my prayers here i can i can do a lot just right here this is this is the view in our time of the world this is the view of a christian that can live in this world and not become of it this is that's the this is the view we need this like we need air we need to elevate and transcend all of this and we need to get into we need to regularly remember his greatness and his goodness to survive it. That's why we're a community of praise. So I invite you to do that. Yeah, hallelujah, that word halal, you'll notice it's in a word, hallelujah. Yah is for Yahweh, halal is praise. So every time you're singing hallelujah, you're singing praise God. That is, that is what we must do is give him that hallelujah. Let's stand and let's practice right now as we depart from each other today. And if we can, if we can help you in any way, please come.